Thank you. Be seated if you would please. Good morning. Good to see y'all this morning. I feel like everybody's preparing for something on the outside. So nobody wants to sit in the middle, but anyway, uh, it's good to see y'all this morning. It's always exciting when we get to see our, our kids uh, participate in worship and be a part of the service. Uh, it's good to see them serve our entire church body. And so we, we want to thank all of you who've helped with this this morning. Thank you, Jonathan. And and Amy and and Chris and making this happen this morning is it, the reason part of the reason why we wanted to do it on Sanctity of Life Sunday is it is a reminder to us Sanctity of Life is it's a reminder to us that all of life matters all people's uh, lives matter every life matters to the Lord and every one of us have been called to serve Him and serve each other and so this morning we're going to be talking about life. This gift that God has given us, this gift that God has given all of us. If you're here this morning, He has given you the gift of life. This is something that He has provided for you. I know uh, to talk about life and talk about what life is and what the meaning of life is, these are deep theological discussions. Uh, I think we had this discussion at Wendy's the other day with Josiah, but uh, you know we, we typically have these kind of talks. But, but last night, he, he had another question. It, so Josiah, my son, he comes in and he says, Dad... Why is Lulu special? And I was like, I don't, I don't, what are you going with this, son? What, what do you mean, why is Lulu special? And, and he's like, and, and he, he keeps talking, he's like, well, she, she has big eyes and she has big teeth. And, and, and he, God must really think that she's special to give, him all, give her all of these things. Now, Lulu's our dog, in case you didn't pick up on that, you know, big eyes, big teeth. Uh, wasn't talking about mom or sister. We were talking about our dog, Lulu, who is, you know, our, our little precious dog that's, uh, gifted to us, you know, our little hyper dog that suffers from doggy ADD and all these sorts of things. I mean, she's just a, a wonderful blessing, let me tell you. But anyway, the kids call her, her our mixed up beagle. That's what we call Lulu. If you ask what she is, that's what she is. She's a mixed up beagle. But, but she, he came in and he said, Dad, why is Lulu special? He said, Dad, do you have a verse? Is there a verse in the Bible that tells me why Lulu is special? I was like, Oh no, man! Ask your pastor. But but it, it <laughs> uh, so we went to Genesis one, and then in Genesis one, the Bible tells us that God made everything. And so I said, "Listen, Lulu's special because God made her." And he was like, mm, "Yeah." Genesis one twenty five says this. It says, "And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds." And Josiah was like, "Well, what does that even mean? According to their kinds? What are what is he talking about here?" And so I said, well, it means that God made her, therefore she's special. And he's like, eh, that's not good enough. But then we came to the end of the verse. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And the last part of verse 25 says this, and God saw that it was good. And so I said, Josiah, God made Lulu. He made all animals. He made everything. And after he made everything, he said, it is good. It is special because God says it is good. It is, and I know we live in a world that's twisted and broken by sin, but the, the truth is, is that God made everything. And after he made everything, including our little dog that pees on the floor when she gets too excited, excited, 
Uh, and he made it all, and he says, it is good, it is special. And he said, oh, okay. And that was the end of it. Like, that was done. But here I am left thinking about it. The reason why life is special, the reason why life is a gift, is because God has given it. The reason why we can say animals are special is because God says that they are good, that he made all things good. Now, if that's true of animals, how much more so is it true of mankind? <clears throat> and listen to Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. While all, uh, think about this. While all creatures, God made everything and he said it is good and they have a special purpose. That's true. He took man aside and he breathed into our nostrils the, the breath of life. He gave us, in another place it says that God created us in his own image. We are special because God gave us something. He didn't give any other of his creation, his image, his life, his spirit. And so uh, while, you know, while animals and creation is special because God made it and said it was good, with the exception of mosquitoes and gnats and those sorts of things that came from the fall, uh, I, we, we understand that man is extra special. And the reason why man is extra special is because God created us in his image. And the life that he gives us, the life that he gives us this morning, is a gift. It is a gift to be treasured. And he makes this clear in Genesis. And so Genesis 9 says this. Uh, Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so God says, if you kill a man, then your life will be required. And the reason it will be required is because God made man in his own image. If you take the life of someone God created in his own image, then you are guilty of shedding the blood of someone that is extremely special to God. You see, guys, the reason why life is special, the reason why life is important to God, and the reason why we should see it as a gift is because it is from God himself. We are created in his image. The reason we should value the life of those around us is because they're made in God's image. The reason we should value the life that we have is because we are made in God's image. Our design, our specialness, if you will, comes from the fact that God specifically made us. He specifically created us. He took care and concern to give us life. It is a good gift from our good Father, this thing we call life. That's why we take uh, this Sunday this year and, and we talk about this gift that He has given us. He loves us so much that He would give us, his, give us life and then on top of that, send His own Son to die for us. He didn't send His Son to die for the Lulus of the world. He sent His Son to die on our behalf, on mankind's behalf. And so, so this morning, if you're here and you're thinking, I, I don't understand why life is special, and more importantly, I don't understand why I'm special. I don't understand how this life that God has given me is a gift. I don't under, do you have a verse preacher to tell me you know, why I'm special, why I am something uh, that God loves and, and appreciates? Well, actually I do. In Jonah chapter 4, <clears throat> I wouldn't have asked that question if I didn't already have one, right? I'd set myself up. But Jonah chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 11. A uh, little bit of background. Uh, I think we've walked through Jonah here before, but in the book of Jonah, we have this uh, prophet who's angry with God for not killing people. Like, that's Jonah's sort of M.O. Like, he wanted God to destroy the city called Nineveh. God didn't destroy the city called Nineveh. In fact, he spared the city. 
Well, Jonah gets mad and he, and he goes out and he sits on this hill and he waits on God to send fire down from heaven to destroy these people. And God doesn't destroy these people. And then in the process, he gives Jonah a little plant that grows up and gives Jonah shade from the sun as he's sitting there sulking over the fact God hadn't killed these people. Well, God also sends a little worm to kill the plant that Jonah's using for shade. The plant dies and the sun's beating down on Jonah's head. And he's mad and he says, I want to die. Uh, I, I want to die. And so God asks him a question. He says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So that's Jonah's response to the Lord. Then verse, verse 10 says, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And so God says, you care about this little plant. You have love and compassion for this little plant that you had nothing to do with. It just appeared one day and was gone the next. This is something that you care so deeply about. And he says in verse 11, and should not I pity Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. He says, Jonah, you're all bent out of shape over losing your plant and you had nothing to do with it. I created all these people in this city. Why would I want to see them destroyed? Not only that, there's plenty of cattle. God cared more about the cows than Jonah uh, did, did about them, about people. God cared more about the cows that he had created than Jonah did about the people God had created. God looks at Jonah and he says, listen, I love these people. I love my creation. I love life. This is a gift from me. Why would I want to remove it from them? He's saying, you need to understand how much I uh, treasure life. And so he, he looks at us this morning and he says, you are to value life because I value life. That's why a lot of times when it comes to to Sunday, when it comes to sanctity of life Sunday, we talk about uh, abortion because God cares about the life of the baby in the, in the womb of her mother. God cares about this little child that he has given a life to. He values all life, whether born or unborn. Listen, listen to how God describes the life uh, of a baby in Psalm 139, yet unborn. For you, speaking of the Lord, for my inward part, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We see here that the God does not begin to care for us when we are born. He begins to care for us when we are conceived, when we begin to grow, when, we when he gives us the gift of life. Life is something that God considers very precious, whether we are in the womb or out of the womb. And so this morning as we think through life and we think through even the topic of, a, of abortion, that God's word speaks to us and says, I value life. I see life as sacred, as, as, as something that is sanctified, something that is set apart, something that is a special gift. God has a deep passion for the life of children even before they are born. He has a deep passion for life, uh, of the life for children even after they're born too. He cares for us even after we're born, thankfully. He cares for us even after we grow up and we begin to make mistakes and we begin to sin. And, and Well, I guess we don't actually grow up before we begin to sin, do we? We begin to sin when we're really little. We just get better at hiding it as we get older, I think. But, but if God didn't love us in spite of us, He wouldn't continue to send the rain. He wouldn't continue to provide for us. We would, he would withhold His blessings. 
But God cares so much for life and he cares so much for you that he continues to provide for you. Like I said a minute ago, the fact that you are here this morning is a testimony to the fact that God has concern for you, that God has love for you, that God has given you the gift of life yet another day. With that, all of that, we, we get into James 1.27. And in James 1.27 is where we'll be this morning. We're, we're going to look at what it looks like to value life the way that God values life. This is one little tiny piece of what it looks like to value life the way that God values life. But it's a pretty important piece. James, the half-brother of Jesus, has written to a group of people. And he says, listen, I want you to know what real faith looks like. I want you to know what pure worship is. I want you to know what it really looks like to serve the Lord, what it looks like to go, on, go beyond just talking about it to actually doing it. We're going to take one piece of uh, the, one of the commands that James gives when he begins to talk about this and, and look at the way that we can mirror or the way that we can mimic our Father. And so James one twenty seven, James writes this. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the, from the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you. You're so good to us every day. You give us the gift of life. You give us the gift uh, of being able to gather and worship you this morning. Lord, you give us the, the gift of being able to serve you and lift up our voices to you and to share together in, in song and worship. Uh, even as we get to see the, these young people serve you this morning, serve alongside us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified through the things that take place today. God, as we look at your word, I pray that you would make it come alive. God, that you would uh, speak deeply into our hearts through the truths that we find in your word. We need your help in this. I need your help in this. God, we, we can't understand you. We can't uh, do what you've called us to do apart from your help. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us that help this morning. God, I pray that you would change our hearts and change our lives and that you would use us to change the lives in the community that we live in. God, that you would speak through us, that you would move through us, that your strength, your power, your glory would be seen where we live and where we go and where we work and the people that we talk to. God, that you would be seen as glorious, that we would lift up our Lord Jesus and that everyone would hear the good news of the gospel because of the way that we live and the things that we say. Lord, we need your help this morning. I need your help. Help us now, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, as I said, James 1.27 gives us a picture of what pure worship looks like, what pure religion looks like. And so, first, I want us to look this morning and see that pure worship uh, provides new life to the hurting. And here, here's what I mean. When we read this word, uh, pure and undefiled religion, another way to say that is pure and undefiled worship. Because all this word really means is to serve uh, God, to serve Him in a way that is pleasing to Him, to please Him, to, to offer ourselves to Him, to, to work on His behalf. And so religion and worship are, are really interchangeable in our culture. And so if you put worship there, so to have pure and undefiled worship is to visit orphans and widows in their time of distress. It is to have compassion for those of our number who are hurting and struggling and who are exposed uh, to painful things in our community and painful things in their lives. And so the first aspect of treasuring life, of having this pure religion, is to invest in and provide new life for the hurting. 
As you guys know, we, we have many folks in our number who have lost their spouses, who have been widowed over the years. That's, it is our job to visit them in their time of affliction. It was especially true in James's time. They didn't have such a thing as Social Security. They didn't have such a thing as survivor benefits or any of those things. They were left to provide for themselves. And if they didn't have anybody to provide for them, that's where the church would step in. And so, in fact, what you see in the early churches, this is one of the first things they did, was they took up daily uh, offerings to take care of the widows. They would provide food for them. They'd provide bread for them. That's, uh, we see that in the book of Acts. Some of the first deacons were called, I think they were deacons, they were called to serve the widows in the church, to provide for them. Now, while it's true that some things have changed, it's also true that a lot of other things haven't. You want to talk about pain, you talk about losing your spouse. You talk about losing the partner of your life. I I have not experienced that. I can't even begin to try and relate to the pain that that must be to go through such an experience. Guys, we as a church are called to provide comfort for those who go through such things. To provide uh, healing for those who go through such things. To come alongside. The word comfort in the New Testament means to come alongside the help. We as a church body are called to do this, to be personally involved in their lives. This is what it means to come alongside and visit someone in their time of distress. By the way, it says pure and undefiled worship. It doesn't say, uh, or pure and undefiled religion, it doesn't say really, really good pastors or really, really good deacons. In, in other words, part of every believer's calling is to visit those who are hurting and provide new life to visit those who are hurting and provide help and comfort. This is not something that's delegated to one particular person or one particular body within the church. This is something we as a church family ought to be about. Now, I, I, I mean, and, and you guys know this is true if you're a part of Grand Avenue. I, I know we have so many people who do exactly this, who provide for and care for those who are hurting, those who are struggling. We have a, a great support group but we could always do more. There are more people who could be involved in those ministries. And so if you want to be involved in in helping the hurting, come see me and and we'll walk through that and figure out ways to plug you in. But but there's something else, I think, at at work in our culture. We seem to, as we move forward, to devalue life. We seem to devalue those who are older than us. It seems as though we, we live in an age where Respect for those who are older than us is dwindling. I think about Leviticus 19.32, and I'm going to break out some Leviticus on you this morning, but uh, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. In the Proverbs, it talks about honoring uh, those who have uh, gray hair. In other words, you, you earn them. I'm getting a few. It's the only way I'm ever going to get them when it's coming out, out my chin. But I'm getting a few, so I feel like I've earned every one of those. I've got one named Josiah, one named Zoe, and several named Crystal in it. But I'm just kidding. But, but anyway, <laughs> she can't talk right now, so it's okay. We're good. Uh, I'll deal with it in a few days. But, but, but we, we tend to devalue those who have come before us, those who have more wisdom than us. And we, we tend to not see those who are older than us as having special uh, value in our lives when we actually ought to and we actually are called to heed their advice, listen to their wisdom. It's something we're called to do. I, I, I know I've shared this quote with you before, but Mark Twain said that when I was 15, I thought my dad was so foolish I couldn't wait to get away from him. But by the time I turned 22, I was amazed at how much he had learned in so little time. And his point was, when I was little, I thought I knew everything. I grew up and I realized dad knew a whole lot more than I thought. I had to go back and say, yeah, you were right. Yeah, you were right. Yeah, you were right. 
And then it's true, as we grow in wisdom, as we grow in maturity, we find out that those who are older than us actually knew a lot more than we realized. And so those of us who are younger, we have this opportunity to learn from those who are older. Those who are older have the opportunity to pass on the wisdom and knowledge that they have. That's how a healthy church works. It, it's been great to watch. Uh, we, we missed the picture earlier, but Alex was standing in the back talking to our young ushers this morning and, and sharing with them about what it, what it looks like to be an usher. It's, it's amazing to see those things being passed from one generation to the next. To be, have aspects of what it looks like to follow Christ and serve in the church be passed from one generation to the next. And so we're called to value those who are older than us. But we're also called to value those who are younger than us as well. And we, we see this uh, when it says, and visit the, the orphan, uh, the, the widow and the orphan in their time of uh, distress. The, the orphan in our day is someone who's been exposed to danger in, in ways that are, are unreal in many ways, the, the plight of the orphan hasn't changed since James' days. Maybe, maybe in some ways it's worse and more widespread now than ever. Maybe in some ways we, we struggle, our, our children are in more danger than ever. I, I read this morning that between Hot Spring and Garland counties, there are 159 churches. So there's 159 churches between Garland and Hot Spring counties. There are 207 kids who spend time in Garland and Hot Spring counties foster care each day due to abuse and neglect. There are an average of 46 families that care for these children. That's not out of churches, that's total. So out of 159 churches, we can produce no more than 46 families to care for orphans, to care for those who are hurting. Now I understand there's, there's different things that go on within these situations, but, but, but and statistics don't always give you the whole fact, but I wanted to show us a little video this morning. It'll only take a few minutes. Uh, in this video, we, we see a little bit about what I'm talking about. Kelly, if you'd play that. I want to be a professional football player and the Denver Broncos. When I grow up, I want to be a teacher and for first grade. And Please say, get bad guys. I, I would want to be a model. A motocross rider. I want to be an interior designer. Because I can save people and save kitty cats. Be a hairstylist. You get to do other people's hair. You get to do new styles. And get money. I want to be a photographer when I get older. Be a doctor on a picture. A first in kindergarten teacher. Be a police officer, because my dad's a police officer. I want to be the President of the United States of America. 
I want to be a fighter friend when I grow up because I like protecting people from fire. I want to be a foster parent. kids talk, you realize just what we're talking about. You realize just how uh, hard the world is around us on those who have no one to stand up for them, on no one to care for them, on no one to come alongside them and comfort them. We, We realize just how far we are from where they are and how far we are from what God has called us to be. As we look at those children, they... You say, well, that's not my responsibility. Well, actually it is. If you have pure and undefiled worship, if you truly want to serve the Lord, you will visit widows and orphans in their time of distress. It is our job to not neglect those among us who are being neglected by everyone else. Guys, it's so easy to sit here in our nice little cushy sanctuary and our nice little cushy pews and talk about how all those people out there need to act right. Talk about how they ought not to be having abortions and things like that. What if, what if we stopped being standing against uh, all these other things and started standing for life, standing for uh, de- defending those who have no one else to defend them? I'm not saying that we don't say abortion is wrong. I don't say that we don't say those things. But what if instead of focusing all of our effort on that, we focused our effort also on showing love and concern for those that no one else does? Now hear hear me on this. This is just like when when we talk about those who are older, those who are struggling. Our our church supports many of them, uh, those who are hurting and struggling. But we also have many, many people in our number who support and help orphans help those who are struggling those young people who have no one else to defend them we have many in our church that do that we have many in our church who have taken up this call and are doing that and so don't hear me saying that we're doing nothing because we actually are we have many who do on their own without anybody knowing we also have uh, uh, different groups in the community that we support and help in those ways but my question isn't so much about what are we doing but what are you doing Not so much what are we called to, what are you called to? You see, James says that pure worship, worship that God accepts, religion that God accepts, looks at those in our community who have no one else to stand up for them and says, I'll stand up for them. I'll do what it takes to help them. Now, fostering care is just one one aspect of it. The call, I I used their video because it it was really good and they they have a good way of putting things, but they're just one of many groups in our community that helps those in need, that helps those who are at risk. You can find ways to support just them. If you need information, we have information for you on them. You can support through financial, prayer, all sorts of different ways. That's just one of many. I'm not trying to say, hey, let's all go sign up for the call. But at the same time, we need to begin to ask our questions. How can I help? What can I do for those who are hurting, those who have no one else to stand up for? This is what it means to follow Christ. It means to stand up for those in our community who the rest of society is saying, eh, we don't have time to deal with them. They're not important enough to us 
to value their life. God says all life is sacred. All life is holy before Him. We are called to not just stand against taking life. We are called to stand for giving life. Whether they be seniors, whether they be young. We are called to value the life that God has given us. And, and so I, I just want to end here the, this morning. The last thing that James says here is that and to keep oneself stained or unstained from the world. True, pure worship produces a life of holiness. Serving others is not against serving the Lord. It actually goes hand in hand. You can do good stuff for other people without actually serving the Lord. Did you know that? A lot of people do it. No, it actually goes hand in hand with loving God and serving Him. You can't throw out holiness with, uh, and at the same time feel like you're serving Him. There, it's both and. It's not either or. God claims our lives. We are called to value the gift of life that He has given us. The world around us would tell you that you can do whatever you want with your life. Guys, that's not value in your life. That's not value in the life that God has given you. He says to live according to what I've told you to do. He says to live according to how I've called you to live. That's what it means to value life. That's what it means to hold life as sacred and sanctified as to walk down the path He has called you to. His Word makes very clear that we are to follow His path, not our own. We are to do the things He's called us to do, not the things we want to do. Maybe sometimes the reason why we have such a hard time worshiping on Sunday is because we haven't been living so right Monday through Saturday. Maybe the reason why we come in here and we, find, we struggle so hard to listen and hear from God, the reason why we're struggling maybe is because we're stained by the world. We've been infected by the way that those who are anti-God think. And we come in with the same thoughts that they have. It's hard to hear from God. When you spent your whole week running away from him, you have to spend all Sunday morning repenting, trying to get back to him. Maybe the reason why we struggle with worship so much is because we refuse to walk the path that he's given us. We refuse to visit those who are in need. We refuse to help those who are in need. The more that you listen to him, the more that you walk with him, the further uh, away from the way that the world walks will you walk. You'll begin to walk in a new way, a new path. All of that, guys, is what he's called us to, but he doesn't leave us there. He gives us his example. He gives us what it looks like to value life, what it looks like to value those who can't help themselves, to help the helpless. James begins this uh, by saying that pure and undefiled worship to the Father. Our Father has given us the example of what it looks like to defend the widow and to be the Father to the fatherless. He shows us what it looks like to, to love those and care for those and help those who can never help themselves. He does it through loving us through His Son. He sent Jesus. He, he could have said, no, they messed up, they missed their chance, they missed their shot, I'm, I'm done with them. They can't do anything for me. If they want my help, they've got to help themselves. That's not what God said about us. He said, I love them because I love them and I'm going to send my Son to save them. I'm going to send my son to redeem them from all the things that they've done. In spite of the fact that they can do nothing on their own, in spite of the fact they can do nothing to earn, uh, in spite of the fact we can do nothing to earn his love, he sent us Christ. And Christ came and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he died the death we should have died so that we can live with him for eternity, so that we will never, ever have to be alone again so that we will know that our Heavenly Father has come alongside us to defend us, to be our Father, even when our earthly fathers fail. 
Even when our earthly fathers fell miserably, the Father of heaven comes and says, I'll be your dad. I will be your father for all eternity. Not because you deserve it, not because you can buy it, but because he loves you. Because Jesus died in your place. Everything you owed was paid on the cross. And he says, come and be a part of my family. Come and be a part uh, of my eternal family. Live with me for eternity in heaven. That's what God calls you to this morning. That's what he calls all of us to. No matter what walk of life we're in, we are all in the same boat. We all need the same grace. We looked this morning in Sunday school at a guy named Saul, a guy who killed Christians for a living. God loved him so much he sent Jesus his son and said, Saul, quit doing that. Follow me. In fact, I'm going to make you a chosen vessel of mine. And guess what happened? God took Saul and he changed, it. he changed his entire life. Saul went by Paul and so now we have Paul the apostle who goes and spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Why? Because you can't ever out God's grace. You may think you're too far this morning. You're not. He calls you to be his child through the person of Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk out of here today alone. You don't have to walk out of here today without a heavenly father. You can walk out of here today knowing that your father in heaven loves you and will love you for all eternity. And so I ask you this morning, have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted in him? Have you joined his family? If you haven't, will you? Will you trust on Christ? Ask him to save you and ask him to come and forgive you and live within you. If you would stand with us and as you stand, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you do uh, through, your, through uh, your church, all that you do uh, through the people who are gathered this morning. Lord, I thank you for the, the children who came and shared with us this morning. God, I thank you for all those who have worked so hard this week to serve you. Lord, we pray for this time. We pray for this time of invitation, Lord, that it would be a time of commitment to you, of a turning from our hearts from the world back to you, Lord. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come as we sing? Living for Jesus.